welcome. Happy Easter, everybody. Good to see you. He is risen. Yes, good. Got some churchy folks with me this morning. I love that. So happy Easter. We are here today to celebrate our risen King Jesus, to do that in community with one another. We gather um, to worship together and to bring our attention towards God, towards the kingdom, and towards Jesus today. If you are visiting, we want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. There are cards in the backs of the seats in front of you that you can fill out if you'd like. Um, And you can also just come up to us and talk to us and meet us if you'd like to do that as well. Um, But welcome. We are glad that you're visiting with us today. Um, If you want to stay connected with what we're doing, just information-wise, you can do that via My Life Bridge. We've got events there. Uh, We have a daily uh, devotional that goes out in audio and in in written word um, from Pastor John Adams. Um, And so you can check that out as well. You can give online and you can get signed up for email and text updates there at mylifebridge.church. So check that out as well. We also want to thank you for your giving. Thank you for supporting our mission with your tithes and offerings. You can, uh, you can do that online. And uh, online you can go, you can log in, you can give once, or you can set up a recurring donation there if you want to do more of the set it and forget it sort of thing. Um, we have Venmo as well, and then there's giving boxes on each end of the hallway. If this is your home church, we ask that you give and uh, to support our mission, and we rely on, on your generosity. And we, we want to say thank you to those of you who have given faithfully to uh, the ministry here. Thank you for that. One other thing I want to highlight is next Sunday is Serve Sunday, which means the church looks different. We will be volunteering out in our community uh, rather than having a worship service altogether. So if you're planning to come to church next Sunday, uh, you, need, you need to still come, even now, now that you know that you, we're going to put you to work. And we're asking you to sign up ahead of time at lifebridge.church forward slash serve so that we can plan on you and we will communicate with you ahead of time so you know a little bit more about what will be happening day of. So this is something we want the whole church to be a part of. We need everybody to be a part of serving our community. We've committed to a lot of projects and we need a lot of slots filled yet. So please do, uh, please do get signed up for Serve Sunday next Sunday, April 24th, lifebridge.church forward slash serve. Now with that, I want to give a warm Easter Sunday welcome to a man who is wearing the same outfit as me and wearing it much better, <laughs> Pastor John Adams. Let's hear it for him. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, If you're visiting with us, it's usually more awkward than that, how he introduces me. So that was actually quite tame. Appreciate that, dude. Thank you. Yeah, as John said, happy Easter. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here and worshiping our risen Savior with us. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin the sermon today? Father, Lord, we just thank you for your plan of redemption and salvation that you brought and that, Jesus, you vindicated who you are. You proved to us that you have life in yourself, that you are God, that your words are true, and, Lord, that your way is the best way to live, and that the pursuits that you call us to, Lord, are the best things to pursue in our life, even if they don't make sense to us. So, Jesus, we worship you, we praise you, and we give you our life. Amen. All right, our campaign that we're in is called The Pursuit. We started this uh, teaching series, essentially, oh, was it three weeks ago? And we've been talking through uh, healthy personal growth in a self-absorbed world. So I've been telling you for the first couple of weeks of this campaign that it's going to lead into Easter nicely, okay? And I've been planning it to, to, for the themes to work out well, what we're talking about <clears throat> 
today, talking about the resurrection of Christ, talking about what we pursue and how we uh, pursue personal growth and the things that we pursue out of that. Uh, we're talking today about that and our resurrection life that we have in Christ. So in this campaign, we've been, as I said, talking about personal growth in a self-absorbed world. There tends to be two kind of camps that we fall into when we talk about personal growth. Some of us just kind of write it off completely as not for me or as something that others do or just, ah, I don't care. You've heard it kind of distorted or abused and you're like, ah, I don't even want anything to do with it. And then some of us just dive all into it and before long we don't even realize it, but we have become completely self-absorbed and life is all about us. And we don't even realize it because, as we talked about last week, we have this unbelievable tendency to deceive ourselves, to think that we are doing good, to think that we are pursuing the kingdom of God. But if we were to get to the heart of the matter, ultimately, what we are longing and pursuing and desiring is not the kingdom. It's selfish, and it's for us, and it's all about me. So uh, it happens subtly, but it happens nonetheless. One of the things that you hear often in marketing or in movies or in our culture, the things that they tend to, we, we hear this all over the place, be yourself. Stay true to yourself. When somebody has kind of lost their way and then come back and become comfortable with who they are and living and acting in who they are, we say that that person has found herself, right? We hear this all the time. And it seems to me, the more I think about it, that that is the highest good that a secular culture can promote, is understanding who you are and then living according to it and being comfortable in who you are. It's authentic, it's real, it's genuine. That's kind of what we're after. However, within the, that perspective, it can't go far enough because within the Christian perspective, we have to, have to ask ourselves more or deeper questions. Like, is, is my concept of who I am true? Is it true according to God? according to God's word? Is my self-concept how God views me? And if it's not, then we're not living according to the truth. So then what we pursue will not be according to the truth of who we are. Instead, it will be some distortion of who we are. So what we've been talking about in this campaign is having a true, accurate picture of who we are according to scripture. And we've just been looking at some of the big block things. Uh, that define our nature and who we are as human beings. Last week, we, we saw from Genesis chapter 3 how we are fallen, that we are sinful in nature, and we have this tendency and proclivity towards evil. We, we desire, uh, so we fall prey to temptation. We desire evil, so we fall prey to temptation often. And we have this ability to deceive ourselves, so what that means is that when we think of ourselves, that we should have a, a healthy kind of skepticism of our motives and who we are, right? Because we so easily fall prey to temptation and because we are fallen. Said it kind of on bluntly, we shouldn't trust ourselves. You shouldn't trust your motives. You shouldn't trust your longing and your desires. Instead, you need to have a healthy skepticism and constantly holding them up to scripture. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how there's two sides to the same coin of humanity in our nature. That one, we are created in the image of God, and so we have uh, this great dignity and value and worth that God has placed on us and called us to steward creation and to rule in his place. The other side of that coin is that we are not God, 
Although we are created in the image of God, we are not God, and we are dust and ashes, and we are mortal beings, that we do not have life within ourselves. Instead, in the Genesis account of creation, it is given us by God when he breathes the breath of life into us. And today, what we are going to see is, again, Jesus takes this step, another step further, and he adds another piece to this story. So this concept of us being mortal and dust and ashes, it's a very nuanced concept in Scripture, because as we're going to see today, in Christ, when we are in Christ, we have resurrection life. We have eternal life. In the devotional on Wednesday, I'd go through the Gospel of John and just point out uh, a few, not even all of them, of uh, the mentions of eternal life and how we have eternal life in Christ through faith in him. It's everywhere in the Gospel of John. It's one of the main themes of the whole book. So what we're going to do today is read a short passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, really 4 through uh, 7, 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about, he, he's, saying, he's arguing with the Corinthians about why he's willing to suffer so much for the sake of the Gospel. They're saying, Paul, your message, it, it isn't valid. What you're saying isn't true. Like, you're not an apostle worth following and listening to because people haven't accepted your message. So many of the Jews hadn't believed you. And you're suffering so much. If you're going through this much trouble, one, why are you continuing? Why are you still pursuing this gospel and this mission that God has given you as an apostle? Like, why are you still pursuing that? And also, we don't think it's valid because of all the suffering and the, and the difficulties that you're experiencing. So in this, Paul says a lot of really, really good stuff. But here in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this. And here, we're going to come to the core of who we are as humans in Christ. And that is what we should live out of in our pursuits. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, we read this on Good Friday, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Again, on Friday, we talked about this identification with Christ in his death, and therefore identification with him in his resurrection, that we can't have resurrection life without death to self first. That's not resurrection, Right? And my hunch is that many in the church want to experience the resurrection life of Christ without first dying to ourselves. We want to have Easter without Good Friday, and it doesn't work that way. He goes on, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's a simple statement, identification with Christ. If we die to ourselves and if we died with Christ, then we will also live not for ourselves, but for Christ. So when we die to ourselves and we are reborn or made new, then we no longer live for ourselves. Instead, we live for Jesus. Jesus says it in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. These are the words of Jesus. And I've often read these words and been like, whoa. And you just kind of get, uh, it kind of hits you. And intentionally so. What if Jesus is serious about this? I love that. Sky Jatani has a series of books called What If Jesus Is Serious? I love the idea. Like, what if he is? What if he really means this? That we should be so committed to the life of Jesus that 
We need to die to ourselves and our own ambitions and our things that we are striving for and be fully committed to the life of Christ because he has given us his resurrection life. What if he means what he says? <clears throat> there, even in Matthew 10, Jesus is talking in the context of sending out his 12 disciples on a mission and saying, people are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. Uh, if, if you. He even says, if you love your uh, family, if you love your parents, if you love your children more than me, you are not worthy of me. What if he's serious? Jesus calls us to this type of life, giving up, laying down ourselves and living for him and for him alone. Then he goes on. That, oh man, I get all riled up about the Good Friday portion of this, so... All right, we're on to the Easter part. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we regard him thus no longer. So what he means here by regard Christ, regarding people according to the flesh and regarding Christ according to the flesh is just simply uh, viewing them through uh, their nationality. Uh, if you were part of the people of Israel, then you were part of the people of God in this day and age. If you obeyed the law of Moses and you were following through on the covenant stipulations, then you were a part of God's people and you were righteous and holy. No longer. The resurrection of Jesus changed all of that for Paul. He goes on, verse 17, and this is the verse that we're going to kind of hone in on today. Therefore... So because he no longer regards anyone according to the flesh anymore, because we identify with Christ in his death and now we live for him, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is this beautiful, beautiful promise. But it comes with a qualifier. If anyone is in Christ... Okay, so this is where uh, the application from the last two weeks has been at, directed at all of humanity equally, whether you are following Jesus or not. Today we diverge, okay? Today the application here is for only those who are in Christ. That means those who have put their faith in Jesus are trusting in him for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, and who have devoted their entire life to him as their Lord, and they are following him with everything that they have. Your life is united with Christ. Paul's favorite phrase is in Christ to describe Christians because we become united with him so that our goals, our pursuits, our passions, our desires are no longer ours but his. And you see this even in the wording of being a new creation, that our old self has died and our new self has been made new in Christ Jesus. And as we saw last week with our sinful nature and our tendency and, and how we are driven towards sin, we must be made new because our old self is so easily tempted and giving in to sin. So this is only for those who are in Christ, who have surrendered to his lordship and put their faith and trust in him. And we have then become new creations who can pursue God and love him above ourselves. And the beauty of this is that we are the beginning of Christ's work in restoring all of creation. In Revelation 21, Jesus has this beautiful statement where John's vision of, 
of heaven, a voice comes from the throne. It says, behold, I make everything new. So you're the beginning. We Christians are the beginning of this restoration of, new cre- of all creation that we get to take part in and be a part of. Keep trying to think of an example for uh, what, what new creation would be. And band, you guys can come and get set up. Uh, I keep trying to think of a good example of new creation. And the only one that I keep coming back to is my dad's uh, Plymouth Barracuda. He has this old 1966 Plymouth Barracuda. And this thing, it sat in my garage for my entire childhood. My dad built like things, on, he welded together things on the side so you can rotate it to do the body work. It's like a rotisserie, but for a car. It's super cool. He's genius. But this thing sat in my garage or in the shed at the barn for my entire childhood. And it's this like rusty gray metal thing. It's empty, it's hollowed out inside. All of the, all of the engine pieces are just like scattered all over the barn. But over the last few years, he's been restoring this thing. All the pieces even got stolen at one point, so he's been like buying up new stuff and trying to find new things. But now, so my childhood, I had this like picture of this rusty old piece of junk car that has been sitting in my garage. But now, he sent me a picture the other day. It is this beautiful, like freshly painted blue. It's got black on, black stripe down the middle. And he's got it working to where now he can start it and the thing fires up and it runs. And it is this beautiful picture of restoration, of new creation, this old piece of junk thing that was hollowed out and nothing. It's like a picture of us and our sinful nature. And then it's been restored. It's been made new. It has been completely redone. And this wasn't just like a, like a break job, right? Where you, you tweak a little part of it or fix a little part that's broken. No, it's a complete gut of the whole thing and complete restoration. That's the new creation life that Christ gives us when we believe in him and we trust in him for our salvation. He makes all of you new. I'll come up and apply that in just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. This promise of new creation that Lord, so many of us, when we think of our old life, perhaps some are living in today the disappointments the lack of purpose feels like you're just spinning our tires there's no guiding principle there's nothing that we are pursuing of meaning and depth Lord perhaps it's because we're pursuing things that aren't aligned with our true nature and who we are in you So Lord, guide us to live in this new creation life that you have given. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Lord, you have risen from the dead. You've proven to us that you are God, that your words are true, that you are king of all creation. And so Lord, we give you our praise, we give you our life. And Lord, we trust that your words are true that the fullness of life is not found in our pursuing our own self-interest, but in dying to ourselves that we might live for you. Jesus, we trust that this is true. We know that you are good. We know that you love us because you have proved it on the cross. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
You guys can have a seat for a few moments. A big idea, if you remember, Second Corinthians is that in Christ we are a new creation. This is the promise of the gospel message that Jesus as he died for us and we put our faith and trust in him when we are in Christ, that he makes us new. He makes us new humans, <laughs> gives us a new way of living, and it is his way. It is a life of love. It is a life of giving of ourselves for others. It is a life of obedience to Jesus and to his mission and to his calling in the world. On this text, New Testament scholar, Maria Harris, he writes, when a person becomes a Christian, he or she experiences a total restructuring of life that alter, alters its whole fabric. Thinking, feeling, willing, and acting. Anyone who is in Christ is under new management, he says, and has, quote, altered priorities ahead to use the wording sometimes found in shop windows in Britain <laughs> on roads. I had to look this up to see if this is true, and apparently it is. In Britain, they have road signs that say, change priorities ahead. Like, what on earth? <laughs> it's a perfect illustration for this, so I'm, I'm thankful. But basically, it's like a danger sign, right? It's like, something's coming. It's like, there might be a sharp turn coming up or the road change because of construction or railroad track or something. It's like, watch out. We're not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what's coming, but there's a changed priority ahead. So you're going to have to change and veer off into a different direction. But for Christians, this is a perfect example because when we come to Jesus and he makes us new, we are new creations, so what we pursue will be different than we did before. If you are a new creation, what you live for will be different because who you are fundamentally has changed. And this is a promise of the gospel. You will have this whole new trajectory on life, thinking, feeling, willing, acting, Jesus, when he makes you new, he will entirely change your priorities in life and what you are pursuing. And I think at the, the, the core of this is in our longing. What we are desiring, the things that we most long for. Because that's what dictates what we do. And the story of scripture is, that it's not enough to just say, do this, do this, do this. No, we, we need a fundamental change to our nature of who we are. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us a new heart and he gives us his spirit to lead us and guide us into these new priorities and to not, to not only change our thinking, but to really fundamentally change our heart for what we long for, for what we, our deepest desire then changes and therefore what we will do changes so the question that 
really we're gonna be wrestling with throughout the rest of this campaign and I wanna leave you with today is what do you desire? What is your deepest longing? Because that will determine what you do. That will determine what you pursue. Is it aligned with your fundamental nature of who you are in Christ or not? And if you answer it, <laughs> perhaps here you'd answer it in the way that you know you should because you're a Christian, <laughs> because you've been in church enough. To know that this is what I should say. Would you answer it differently if somebody were to ask you tomorrow at work? What's your deepest longing? your deepest desire? What are you pursuing above all else? Would you answer it another way if your spouse asked you? When you're just sitting on the couch at home, hanging out at night? Would, or do you answer it another way if your friend asked you? Would you answer it differently if you're alone? when you're really wrestling with your true thoughts and who you are. It's the only way for us to be living a whole integrated life as if that answer is the same regardless of our scenario. And that answer of what we're longing for and desiring most is consistent, is most consistent with our fundamental nature of being new creations in Christ. This is really what Paul is talking about in this whole section of chapters four through six. Remember, he's answering the question of why he's willing to suffer so much for the sake of the gospel. And he suffered a lot for the sake of the gospel. And his answer is simply because I have this resurrection life in Christ. If we can sum it up, that I'm made new in Christ. We're gonna read the rest of what he, what he says immediately following this, but you'll notice that he uses the first person plural, us, after this. So he's referring to himself and those who he's ministering with in this work of the gospel. So when he says that he's a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come, those who are in Christ are new creations, he's referring to himself. He's talking about himself here too. And now we're gonna see his deepest longings come out. So this is what we read. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And now we just see this seeping out of him. Like he can't help but talk about the reconciliation and the reconciliation in Christ and his ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God who through Christ, well, let's pause there for a second. All this is from God, okay? This is a work that God does in you. You surrender your life to Christ and he makes you new. All of this is from him. So if you haven't experienced this change of longing and desire towards Christ and the kingdom, this is where you start. Is you surrender your life to Christ, you die and commit to living for Christ and God reworks your entire life and your whole heart. 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So he is participating in this bigger story. He's a part of this big story of reconciliation, and he's contributing to that. It started with his own new creation, and now that is what he's driving towards, is participating in the reconciliation of the whole world to Christ not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I can't say it any better. (laughs) I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, be reconciled to God. Your sin sets you at odds with God, and God wants and desires reconciliation with his people. He has made it available in Christ. So like Paul, who's an ambassador for Christ, he says, please, he's pleading with them, be reconciled to God. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, surrender your life to Christ. Allow him to remake your heart and change you. Because the message of the gospel is almost too good to be true. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that we are fallen, we are sinful people. But the Father, for our sake, made Christ to be sin. He poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so that we could have the righteousness of Christ when we put our faith and trust in him. And when we do so, we are reconciled to God and our fractured relationship because of our sin has been restored. So part of this new creation life is One, you are reconciled to God. And two, you commit to this ministry of calling others to be reconciled to God. He goes on, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So for those of you who are new creations in Christ, don't receive the grace of God in vain. (laughs) Pursue that which originates and begins in this new creation life in Christ that you have. (laughs) For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now he continues on and talks about his ministry We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Again, I want you to see in this why Paul is willing to suffer so much for the sake of the gospel. Because he has purpose, because he is driven to achieve what Christ has called him to. This is a life that has been made new. His is a life of new creation by great endurance, in affliction, hardship, calamities, 
beatings, imprisonments, riots, <laughs> labors, sleepless nights, hunger. You can read about all of this in the book of Acts. This is what he experienced. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known by Christ, as dying and behold, we live. He died to himself and so he lives for Christ. As punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. This is what it looks like to not receive the grace of God in vain, to not view people through the lens of the world, to view yourself and others, and to live through your new identity in Christ. That even if in your longing and pursuing the kingdom of God and pursuing the ministry of Christ that he has called you to, even if you suffer to such a degree, you can still have joy. Even if you have nothing, you can possess everything because you have Jesus. Paul longs for Christ above all else. He's willing to die to himself daily because he has this new life in Christ. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Remember, he's pleading with them to receive the grace, of, not receive the grace of God in vain. And they rejected him because of his suffering. And they've rejected his message of the gospel because of his suffering. And what he's saying to them is your affections are too small. Your longings are too small. The things that you long for are selfish in nature. Your deepest desires are not in line with new, created, new creation life. instead of pursuing those things that are in line with our selfish nature. When we pursue the kingdom, when we pursue what is according to our new creation in Christ, it may come with difficulty. It may not look like the good life that the culture deems to be the good life. <laughs> but we have the words of scripture. We have the testimony of so many Christians in this world that it is the fullness of life that Jesus gives us and that we can experience now. And it starts with the transformation of our affections. So I invite you to reflect. This week, over the next few weeks, today on Easter, am I longing for the things that are in line with my new creation life? Are they really my deepest longings and desires? Or am I still longing for things that are a part of my old humanity and my old life? Because the promise of the gospel is that Jesus will change our longings. 
that he will change our desires to desire his kingdom and desire him above all else. Lord, change our hearts, we pray. We confess that so often in our lives we just struggle with the tension of desiring things that are part of our old humanity, our old self. But Lord, you have made us new. So God, continue this work in our hearts that changes us to desire the things of new creation, to desire your kingdom above all else. And then so, Lord, find fulfillment, find peace, find joy, even in the midst of suffering and pain, because Jesus, you are worth it. You have given us eternal life. So, Lord, we want to live in light of that. Live all for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.